take a seat. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. Let's encourage our worship team this morning, man, for leading us in worship. Thank you so much. Always appreciate you. If this is your first time here, I want you to know my name is Carlos. I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to read to you, wherever you've come from, if this is your first time at Reality, an invitation that was written by uh, a scholar by the name of Ray Ortland. And we extended this invitation at the beginning in our first service as a church ever when we met at the AMC movie theaters. And wherever you are today, if you're far from the Lord, if you're seeking him, if you're curious about Christianity, I want you to receive this invitation this morning. It goes like this. To all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God even cares, to all who are weak and fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a savior. This church opens wide her doors with a welcome from Jesus, the friend of sinners. You're welcome in this place to bring your questions, to bring your thoughts, especially as you wrestle with the claims of the one that we just sang about, Jesus Christ. I want you to know if you were here last week, man, we celebrated something really special. We saw 13 people get baptized here, take their next step of faith. Um, baptism is uh, an outward sign, a symbol of what God has done inside of us. In the scriptures, we identify with Jesus when we're going under the water is an identification of being buried with him and then being raised back to life with him. Rachel made a video for us, okay? And I want you to take a look at it. We're going to celebrate together. This bag of bones I tried with all my might But I just can't win the fight I'm slowly drifting A vagabond And just when I ran out of road I met a man I didn't know Are you willing to do whatever he tells you? Guess what? It's my privilege to baptize the Father and the Holy Spirit. Come on, man. Hey, if you're here, if you're here and you'd like to take that next step of baptism, I know many of you have already signed up to get baptized and taking that next step of faith. We'd love to connect with you. Um, right after the service, I'll be a connect when you can connect with me or one of our leaders. We'd love to help you uh, have a conversation about that or take that next step in your walk uh, with Jesus. Today, we're back uh, with the series that we started last week called The Generous Life. And we learned this past truth last week that godliness with contentment is true wealth. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And today we're going to take a look at one of the most important passages that discuss the motivations for being generous. 
in Christianity. So this is an amazing day. If you're here and you're one of those people that are checking out the church and you're like, yo, I came and they're talking about money. <laughs> this is the perfect day. Here's why. Here's why. I want you to know why Christians are passionate about generosity and why we give. What is it that drives us? What should motivate us? We're going to talk about that uh, today. Take a look at the, in your Bibles, if you have them, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to read some of these verses and then we'll, we'll be in here for the rest of our time. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. A letter written to the church of Corinth by a dude by the name of Paul. Here's what he writes in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints, and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urge Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. I'm not saying this is a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter, I'm giving advice because it's profitable for you, who began last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it. Now also finish the task, so that just as there is an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does and does not have. Thirteen, it is not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need, so that their abundance may in turn meet your need in order that they may be equality. As it is written... The person who had much did not have too much, and the person who had little did not have too little. This is the word of the Lord. I believe that Christians should be the most generous people on planet Earth. The good news is, historically, this is our inheritance, this is our heritage. Universities have been started by Christians. Hospitals have been started all over the world because of Christians who were generous. Ministries in the inner city to be able to serve the least and those whose society has forgotten about on the margins. It, these ministries have been started by Christians. Christians are supposed to be the most generous people on planet Earth. And pastors and ministries can motivate Christians to give in particular ways. Okay? One of the ways that we could be motivated to give is by using guilt, shame, and fear. You know what I'm talking about? Um, I am a millennial. I was born in 1983. Some of you may not have seen this ad, but I remember there used to be an ad back in the day uh, where Sarah McLachlan, she used to sing that song, In the eyes of an angel, 
Have you seen that? You know what I'm talking about? What am I talking about? What ad am I talking about? It's about dogs. That's right. And you saw and you saw videos of like really sad dogs. And the moment you're hearing this ad, you're like, where's my wallet? I gotta take it out. I got I gotta give. I gotta I gotta adopt some dogs right now. You've seen that, right? That's motivation <laughs> through uh, emotional manipulation, right? And guilt. The, here's the thing about giving through guilt. It's not really the most powerful motivator. It can maybe motivate you for a moment, uh, but it's not really something that is lasting. Now listen, crea- creating awareness, that's not a bad tool, but guilt really is not the way that Jesus motivates us to give in the New Testament. In fact, I wanted to make a commitment to you as a pastor And my commitment is that I'm not going to try to emotionally manipulate you to give. In fact, what I want to do is I want to rest on the word. I want to teach you what God says about generosity and giving. And we want to give because of what Christ has taught us in his word. Amen? That's my aim today to show you why God calls us and invites us into this generous life. And so we're not... We're not supposed to give just because we're motivated through guilt. Another way that pastors sometimes can motivate people or churches or ministries can motivate people uh, to give is by making these false promises, by going into some sort of what people call a prosperity theology. Have you heard somebody say, if you give to this church, then God will make you rich? Have you heard that? Have you heard that? (laughs) I know. Guys, listen, I grew up with this. I grew up with this mentality, man, and if you did this and you did that, God's going to make you um, rich. Now, listen, I believe that God can bless us financially and materially, but he doesn't owe you anything. We don't give transactionally. God is not an ATM machine, okay? We don't give so that we can get. That's a very transactional relationship. That is not the way that God teaches us to give in the scriptures, In the text, we find the central biblical reason why we're supposed to be generous. And it's not out of guilt. It's not out of prosperity. It's grace. It's grace. Did you hear it in the text? Did you see it? It's because of grace. Did you notice how much grace was present in the text? Grace was in verse 1. Grace. In verse 6, grace. In verse 7, grace. In verse 9, grace. Grace and giving. Grace and generosity are inextricably linked in the New Testament and in the scriptures. You see, if you give out of guilt, then what happens is you can become a pretty self-righteous person. You're like, you know what? I got to meet all these needs around the world. I saw it. I saw the ad, okay? And I gave, and that's what our family does. If you give out of guilt, you have the temptation of becoming self-righteous. That's why oftentimes, listen, when you go on a mission trip, when especially in the West, when people from the West go on a mission trip, sometimes the people in the country that is hosting the mission trip will be like, yo, they, they, they think they're coming to save us, you know? Sometimes it's because the, there's this kind of savior complex. We are, man, we're giving and we're, you know, God really needs us. We don't give through guilt. We also, listen, if you give because of a prosperity theology, then you can become entitled. God owes me. Do you see how much I've given to him and he didn't come through for me? If you give because you expect God to give you something back, then you will not be able to know how to handle suffering in your life. 
You're like, dude, God, I, I thought you were, you were going to do this for me. I remember our family had a restaurant business back in like 2002 or something like that. It's been 20 years. And I remember I kind of had a little pseudo-prosperity theology in my brain. And I thought that because we were Christians and because we gave, the restaurant was supposed to be an overnight success. Newsflash. It wasn't. You can become entitled when you give out of prosperity. But what happens when you give because of grace? What happens when you give because of the grace of God? I want to give you four lessons from this text. The first one is this. We learn that when we give because of grace, we give sacrificially and not out of our surplus. We give sacrificially and not out of our surplus. Look back at, with me at verse number one. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, this is what Paul writes, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia during a severe trial brought about by affliction. Their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Did you hear that? When you're reading the Bible, you got you to be like, man, does that make sense? They're in the middle of an affliction. Scholars tell us that Macedonia had suffered from the ravages of a civil war between Pompeii and Caesar. The Romans had taken silver and gold mines. The ability to produce income was severely hampered. Yet, one of the marks of early Christianity is the ability to have joy in the midst of affliction. This is what's being described here. It's like they're poor. They're going through something really intense. And the text says their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in generosity. Have you met people like that? Have you met people like that in your life where they're suffering a lot and suddenly they're filled with joy and purpose and life? And you're like, dude, you don't even know where your next paycheck is going to come from. Have you met people like this? This is the Christianity that is normal in the scriptures. It's like we talked about last week. The, the church in Macedonia were a people who had contentment and godliness, and that was their true wealth. They didn't let money define their identity. A person who is free from the love of money is able to be generous. Their abundant joy resulted in generosity. You see, they gave sacrificially, and they didn't give out of their surplus. Okay. Most people, sometimes they structure their finances and their generosity in this way. Let me show you. It's going to come up on the screen. They generally spend their money. Okay, They spend. It's like, hey, i got to pay my mortgage. i got to pay my bills. And I'm going to... Uh, see what we're going to do for vacation. Thanksgiving's coming up, Christmas. Who are we going to visit? Uh, here are the needs. Here's what I want to get in terms of the furniture. Then they save. Hey, we got to save some money, okay, or invest it. Okay, some of you, for instance, especially in Miami, invested a lot in crypto. My bad. Sorry. That happened a couple years ago. I was one of those people. My bad. I'm still suffering. It's fine. And then number three, thank you for prayer. Afterwards, the prayer team will be available for you. And then number three, and then, and then we give out of your surplus. Um, that's not how the Bible teaches us to give. We don't spend first, then save, and then maybe if I have surplus, then we give. No, that's not biblical giving. That's not grace-fueled generosity. Grace-fueled generosity. Instead, the biblical order is this. We give, we save, and then we live on everything else. We give, we save, and then we live 
on everything else. We give to God our first with joy, with joy here. That's what we see in giving here. Do you see the connection between giving and joyfulness? Do you see it here? You can talk back to me. You can say yes. If you don't see it, that's fine. I want to show you. you know? <laughs> giving and joyfulness, it, it, it's, it's incredible. You see it in this text. Giving is not something that we do for God. It's like God has something for you in giving. We give sacrificially and not out of our purpose. I got to tell you, I haven't met a person who doesn't want to be generous. I haven't met them. When I talk to people, they're like, dude, we want to be a generous people, dude. We really do, bro. We're like, we really want to be generous. What happens is when their desire for generosity meets their desire for things, that's when they encounter a problem. One of my friends puts it like this. He says this, what holds us back from generosity is not a lack of wealth but an unwillingness to sacrifice. It's not a lack of wealth. It's an unwillingness to sacrifice. See, some people think that when they have more money, then they'll finally give. You know what? When I make more, I'm definitely going to make it happen. The, the problem with that is that the data shows that it's not true. The data shows that actually people who make more, they actually generally give a lesser percentage than people who make less. Like if you make $50,000 and you're like, you know what? I have a biblical conviction about the tithe. We're going to give 10%. And you spread that out across the year, and you're like, you know what, that's $90 uh, a week. And you know what, that's fine. Okay, I can do that. We're going to do that. But then let's say you're making $250,000, and you're like, yo, 10% is 25K. I don't know if I can give that, dude. You see what happens? It's not how much you make. We don't give out of our surplus. We give sacrificially because we are fueled by grace. There is no transformation by compensation. Okay, money is an amplifier. It's like the ring of power from Lord of the Rings. I've used this probably 17 times in our church, but I'll use it again. When you put this ring, it amplifies the motives and the desires of your heart. Money is like a gateway drug. It's like a gateway idol. What happens is it amplifies what's already in your heart. If you are a greedy person, money only amplifies your greed. If you're a person who desires power, when you get more money, guess what? It amplifies your desire for power. If you're a person who really needs to control everything in their life, when you get more money, you know what you want to do? Control more things in your life. Money is an amplifier. We don't give just because we make more. We give because of the convictions that we have inside of our hearts. It's grace-fueled generosity. Look at what happens here in verse 3. Paul says, I can testify according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord. They gave above and beyond with joy. So part of the question for us, one of the questions that I'm wrestling with as I'm looking at this text is this. Does my generosity require me to give up on things that I want to do? Does my generosity require me to give up on things I want to do? I, I'm not going to be able to do this so that I can give more. That is the kind of generosity that we see this Macedonian church who was in poverty contribute to. Why? It was because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. They gave sacrificially, not out of their surplus. Number two, why do we give? What's our motivation for giving? When you give, you get to connect to God's kingdom purposes. Or God's kingdom activity in the world. God's kingdom activity. Um, look at verse number four. 
They begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. Paul says the church in Macedonia begged us to participate in giving. When's the last time that you've been in a church and people are like, we need to give, pastor. We need to make this happen. That's what's taking place here. It's not the pastor begging people for money. It's the people begging to participate in God's activity. Do you see the transforming power of grace and what it does in our lives? It's incredible. You know, Paul, we heard this a couple of weeks ago. If you were here, we learned about how Paul came to know Jesus Christ, and he had this radical conversion. He was an assassin. He was a killer of Christians, and God changes his life upside down. And he becomes a church planter, somebody who would go from city to city and start these different churches, and it was incredible. He was a missionary. Part of the ministry of Paul was also to raise funds. And so, When you study the New Testament, you'll see that over 10 years, Paul has been taking this collection for different churches. Look, um, you see it in 1 Corinthians in chapter 16. I want to show you this. Follow me. Look, it says, now about the collection for the saints. Do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he's prospering so that no collections will need to be made when I come. Right? He's talking to saints. By that he means Christians. He's raising this collection for the Christians in Jerusalem because the church was struggling with affliction and with poverty. And so he's asking other churches to pitch in. Are you following me? Great. So what happens is he says this to the church in Galatia. You're seeing what's happening in 1 Corinthians. And then now in 2 Corinthians, a couple of years later, he's coming back and saying, hey, The church in Macedonia did this, and he's writing. This is a fundraising letter right here, man. You ever receive a fundraising letter? Anybody here ever raised funds before? Capital F-U-N, right? Fun, fun, fundraising, right? It's amazing. I got to tell you this. Look, this is what Paul is doing right here. He's raising, he's literally raising funds from the church in Corinth. What most likely happened, part of the reason why he's saying that the people begged them is because Paul saw their poverty, and he was feeling bad about it. He was like, dude, you guys don't have to give, but they begged him to. In other words, they said, don't steal my opportunity to be connected to God's activity. When we give, you get to participate in things around the world. The kingdom of God, when you give, you get to be connected to other families in the church. You get to be connected to people in the city that you may never connect with on a regular basis. Basis And so what happens is Christians give joyfully because we get to be connected to God's kingdom purposes around the world. When we give, we participate. For instance, here, we participate with the International Mission Board. And so we help to send out missionaries all over the world to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. You get to participate with organizations such as One More Child, which provide resources and help for single moms and families in the city. You get to support Send Relief. It's a relief organization that helps to serve people all over the world. You get to participate with a pregnancy center called Eve's Hope. You get to support foster families through the care portal, and you get to support other church plants around the United States and around the world. What happens is when you give, you begin to connect yourself to to people you don't even know. It's a purpose so much greater than just living for yourselves. And isn't that what's happened to us? 
other people around the United States are connected to us. I remember when, when, when the Lord gave us a vision to start a church. Listen, it's exciting for about two days. And then on the third day, you're like, wait, hold on a second. I got to raise funds? I'd never done that in my life. And so I had to learn, and we had to move to Miami by faith. And the Lord, I remember the first time um, our church received a check from an organization. Back then, by the way, our name was Church in the 305. Okay, before we started, we didn't have a name. Guys, I'm sorry. I have repented of that. Okay. Church, I was like, dude, we're going to be this crazy multi-ethnic church. It's going to be fire, dude. Like, you know. Yeah, reality. Okay, praise God for that. Thank you, Jesus. So we, so we receive this. I remember, my like, God, thank you for this, these people I don't even know who prayed because they wanted to see a new work being started in Miami. And then slowly, what, it, what ended up happening is churches all over the United States began, and individuals, they began to support our mission to help us to get started in this city. Churches in Boston, in Chicago, in Raleigh, in California. God, it was, it's been overwhelming. I want you to know that they were taking up a collection, just like Paul was doing it here in Corinth to be able to support a different work in another part of the world. They share, I love that, they share in our ministry here. These churches and these individuals, they participate in God's activity in Miami. Amen? It's so cool. We get to be, continu- like we get to be spiritually connected to people that we haven't met. Some of your spiritual growth that you've experienced here at Reality is a direct result of the kingdom investment that others have. And I, I'm so pumped that we get to do that with other people. We get to be able to share in that ministry with other churches and organizations around the world, and that should produce joy in our hearts. We get to be a part of God's kingdom activity. And so we give, not, we give sacrificially, not out of our surplus. We give because we get to be connected to God's activity around the world. And number three, listen, We give because it's a demonstration of our love. It's a demonstration of our love. Look at what Paul writes here in verse 7. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act, and here's the word again, of grace. I am not saying this is a command. Rather, By means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. See, what happens is the church in Corinth was really talented. They were full of gifted people. It's really cool. They had all these different gifts. And Paul is saying, hey, I want you to excel in those gifts in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence. But then he makes a very specific challenge here. I want you to excel in generosity. What does it mean to be excellent in giving? To sort of equate this with other spiritual practices and with spiritual gifts. Like, hey, we want you to be excellent at being able to give because it's a demonstration of your love. It's a test. For instance, if, if some, for those of you who are in a relationship with somebody else, um, how do you show somebody that you love them? Do you just tell them you love them all the time? 
I love you, 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 I love you. Right? <laughs> yeah. Love is spelled T-I-M-E, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> How do you show somebody you love them? Your words have to match what you do, your deeds. Your deeds are a demonstration of what you believe. It's the same in the scriptures. We can say we love Jesus, I want to be generous, I want to do all these things. Paul challenges the church and says, cool, I want you to excel in giving as a demonstration of your love. I love the fact that he's like, hey, I'm not saying this as a command. Even though the Bible commands us to give, he's like, I, how do I want you to give? I want you to give as a demonstration of love, this act of grace. In other words, I want you to delight in it. And I want you to be diligent about it. Delight and diligence. Delight and diligence. Look at this in verse 11. Now also finish the task so that there, so just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. What Paul is saying is, hey guys, I know you want to be generous. You told me that in 1 Corinthians a couple years ago. But you haven't been diligent it stayed in the world of desire. Yeah, man, we want to give. We want to do all these things, but they didn't complete the giving. That's what he's talking about here. I want you to be diligent. I want you to be deliberate. It's not just like a random act of kindness, which is so cool. Man, you know what I did today, dude? I paid for somebody's meal, and that's really beautiful and awesome. But you know what's even more awesome? To be deliberate and planned in your giving. To be thoughtful as a demonstration of your love. I love what... Um, I remember meeting a pastor in 2015 in Chicago, one of the first people I met in Chicago. And he says this. He says, our generosity needs to be focused. There's no value in giving money away just to give it away. There's no benefit in being generous with the wrong cause. And so he says this. It's a really cool illustration. Maria Asanta passed away, and according to a news magazine, she was a very wealthy real estate investor. According to her will, her $15 million estate is to be left entirely to Tomasino, her cat. One more reason not to like cats, right? God bless you if you have one. It's not just random acts of kindness, but deliberate acts of giving. Diligence in giving is a demonstration of our love. So maybe for you today, some of you, you have the desire to give, you have the desire to be generous. And maybe what you need to receive from Paul today is, hey, I want you to excel in this. I want you to be deliberate. I want you to be diligent. Okay, as a pastor, I want you to know giving, man, this is a practice, like we learned last week, that's going to shape your heart so, so much of our hearts can be shaped by the love of money because money is like a God. When we give, when, when we're generous and when we give, what happens is we're training our hearts on a regular basis to have a kingdom orientation. God, this money belongs to you. God, we are a generous people. God, we know that you did this for us. You're, you're, we're giving not because you need our money. God, we're giving because of your grace. Does that make sense? And so we give sacrificially, not out of our surplus. We give to be connected to God's global activity. We give as a demonstration of our love. And then finally, we give because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
We give because of the gospel. Look at this text right here. If there's, if there's a giving text that is like the most epic text about giving, well, there's two. This is one of them. Verse number nine, look at this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ is the radiance of the glory of God. <clears throat> it says that he sustains the universe by the word of his power. Jesus Christ, he's eternal. There's a mystery. Maybe you've heard of the word Trinity. I want you to think about before Jesus comes down, he's dwelling in perfect unity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a perfect relationship. And he sees us in our sin. And he comes on a rescue mission out of the overflow of this love. It's not because he needed us. He comes to rescue you and me. He chooses to take off his kingly robe, to leave heaven, to come down to earth so that he could give his life for yours. And through that poverty of spirit, and sometimes through actual poverty, you might become rich with his benefits. I love what James Allen Francis writes. He wrote a famous poem called One Solitary Life. I want you to hear it because it encapsulates this truth so well. He says this. Here is a man who was born in an obscure village as the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. And then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never owned a home. He never had a family that he married into. He never went to college. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He had nothing to do with this world except the power of his divine manhood. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. Another betrayed him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon the cross between two thieves. His executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth while he was dying. And that was his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. 19 centuries have come and gone, and today he is the center of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. I am far from within the mark when I say that all of the armies that ever marched and all of the navies that were ever built and all of the parliaments that ever sat and all of the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon the earth as powerfully as has this one solitary life. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Friends, listen, the Bible is clear. It says that we have a debt to pay. What did Jesus do? Why did he have to come and die? He came to die because of our sin. The Bible says that the wages of our sin create death, a separation between us and God. So what did God do? He sent his own son, a perfect 
spotless lamb, a perfect sacrifice. And he died on the cross and his blood became the payment for your sins so that you could be forgiven and set free. Here's how you become rich. If you want to be truly wealthy, the Bible says this. Listen, if you receive Jesus, he gives you an inheritance. You become his son and daughter. You get a new family. You enter into your purpose. You actually enter into a communion and a relationship with God. He gives you the Holy Spirit so that no matter what happens in your life, whether you're rich or you're poor, in whatever situation you have, the presence of God is with you, and you have a counselor who can actually be there for you. At the end of the day, the beauty of the gospel is not that he promises all of these, like, all of this material wealth. The beauty of it is that you get Jesus. You get him, and if you want a relationship with him, and you truly want to experience this kind of wealth, then Jesus invites you today. He invites you to have a relationship with him so that you can experience the power of his grace. It was this grace that fueled the generosity of these churches that we read about in the Bible, and it's grace that's going to fuel the generosity of this church. You see, it was Jesus who gave sacrificially, not out of surplus. We give to be connected to Jesus' activity around the world. It was Jesus who gave as a demonstration of his love. And we get to do the same as we reflect on Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So I want to encourage you today, man. When you look at your life, And when you look at how you've handled what God has given you, what is that next step for you? What is that next step when it comes to analyzing your life when it comes to generosity and giving? God wants you to be motivated by grace. And I pray that we would be a people here free from the love of money so that our families and this city and people all over the world could say, man, look at what Christ has done in their life. Surely, (laughs) this is a demonstration of the love of Jesus in this church. Amen. Amen. What I'd like to do is we're going to take communion in just a moment. And uh, Christians have been celebrating communion for thousands of years. If you're here and you have placed your trust in Jesus, here's what I want to ask you to do. In just a moment, the band's going to come up. And we have elements in a couple of different stations um, here in the room. What I'd like for you to do is to um, pray, to go before the Lord and, and, and exa- let, ask him to examine your heart when it comes to this particular area of your life. Maybe some of you have given because, man, you're, you expect God to do this for you. And it's like a tit for tat. And it's like, no. Maybe today you need to come before the Lord and be like, God, help me to understand your grace. Help me to get a vision for generosity for you. Maybe some of you haven't realized that, man, we get to be connected to God's activity. And you just pray about that. Maybe, maybe there's just something going on in your heart. Maybe you've been hurt by the church in the past. And you're like, dude, I've seen people mishandle funds and all this stuff. And I'm like, God, help me, Lord, to connect with you. We're, listen, we're... We're here to serve you and to point you to Jesus and what he's asked us here in the Bible. We want to lead this generous life. And so why don't we do that and then I'll lead us. I'll come back up and that lead us in taking the supper together. You can go around. You can pray.
grab the elements, and then you can come back down, sit down, and I'll come back up and lead us through communion together. Let me pray for you.